Wow, welcome oh, how back. Are you, Eric? I'm good. I'm good. Yeah, it's been a busy time. Belated happy St. Patrick's Day to all our many Irish listeners, of which we have a few. So there are them. Yeah. Happy St. Patrick's Day. Happy, happy St. Pat's. So welcome back, friends around the world, to the Podcasting Guild, Babylon 5. I am your host, as ever, Eric, joined by my co-host, Andrew. That was the nicest intro I think you've given me <laughs> in many episodes. Well, you mentioned you were a bit tired today, so I didn't want to rub it in too much. Oh, oh you're so sweet. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. All right. I'll let you keep going with okay. the intro. So for today's episode, we're taking a look at the season one episode, Eyes. And just off the bat here, I have to comment that the guy that plays the heavy, the antagonist here, has an amazing voice. And he really should have gotten more work in Hollywood back in the day because, yeah, he would make an excellent bad guy in so many different contexts with that voice and that look he has. I completely agree with you. In fact, listening to him reminded me of no one as much as Jeremy Irons. Oh, yeah. Who voiced Scar in The Lion King, if you're not aware. Incredible actor, incredible voice actor. Also British and also has this rich deep voice and i agree i would i would listen to books narrated by the antagonist in this episode <laughs> he did a great job uh, you know i did note that yet another bad guy is british anytime they need an antagonist who's haughty they <laughs> make him british yep that's very true uh, although his enough, name i enough. think was jewish it was ari ben zayn or something like that was his character name and he mentioned fighting in israel and stuff like that I'm not sure. That's true. He did. He did mention that. Yeah, I'm not sure how I feel about the common use of facial deformities to <laughs> mark out bad guys. Yeah. And you know, he said he he got his scars honorably, but think of all the antagonists in media or in everything <laughs> that are disfigured. Yeah, I don't know. I don't I don't love it. I don't love it. <laughs> But I thought this guy was great. I'm glad that he became an actual bad guy. Yeah. Because it started off with the common, something we've seen before in Babylon 5, where if they were doing exactly the same thing that they're doing and they just weren't dicks about it, they wouldn't be bad guys. Right. But eventually he does do some stuff that's, <laughs> that's actually bad and is also a dick about it. Very true. Anyway, you know, I made a note about the score that opened the episode, the music. Have we heard pan flutes? in bab five yet i don't know it was a surprisingly you know soft um you know i'm i'm, I'm too tired i'm i can't find the words i'm looking for a surprisingly like soothing uh melody to open this episode with <laughs> yeah i think this is the first pan flute intro that we've gotten on Babel five it t- tends to lean more heavily into uh the synthesizer for a lot of the music yeah in Babylon 5. Totally. In fact, I actually thought the first scene would be someone playing an instrument mm-hmm. because the music seemed to be so, <laughs> I don't know, so noticeable compared to usual. Yeah. Pan flutes are quite popular in Star Trek, that being said. <laughs> you hear it in quite a lot of Star Trek episodes. That's a great point. Yeah, I don't know. I like the pan flute. It's a nice sort of dichotomy with this sort of rigid, futuristic lines of the space station mm-hmm. with this like ancient-y sounding instrument. I yeah. didn't mind it. I also liked how we opened with Garibaldi looking at Chekhov's motorcycle here. Every episode with Bester in it or referenced, I think is going to have a Chekhov's uh, <laughs> something. <laughs> 
but yeah, I was into it. I liked the motorcycle. Mm-hmm. It's not obvious to me how he was able to assemble literally every part required (laughs) on a space station hundreds of years after they stopped manufacturing them like Mm -hmm. that. That's an incredible accomplishment. But, you know, also, I don't know. (laughs) Does that check out? You build cars, Eric. How hard would it be? It'd be insanely hard. Yeah, okay. It'd be insanely hard to source. When you're talking 100 years in the future, I mean, I'm trying to find parts for cars that are 30 years old, and it's hard. (laughs) Yeah, 30 years ago was the 90s, by the way, everyone. Like, that's, yeah, not like some classic Chevy from the 60s. Right, exactly. So, yeah, that's what I figured is he even says these haven't been around for, you know, well over 100 years. Mm -hmm. But anyway, and I'll add those parts were in remarkably good shape. (laughs) I mean, it looked brand new, right? Yep. Like even, you know, when you, by the way, my, my understanding here, I'm, I'm shooting from the hip, so to speak. You know, <laughs> I watched like a couple, what, five minute clips of classic car shows back in the day when you used to just scan the TV. <laughs> we didn't have YouTube. We just had to flip through channels. <laughs> and one of the things that I'd come across was people putting together classic cars. And when they got the parts, they looked rough. A lot of time. Rough. Yeah. And refurbishing the parts was like, a huge effort yeah yeah anyway i thought they missed a chance to make a futury looking motorcycle and call it a classic <laughs> did like how there was kind of some future telling going on here where lanier learns a little bit more later on about the history of the motorcycle and the computer tells him they stopped manufacturing gas-powered motorcycles in 2035 which is actually going to be pretty close to true in the real world with all the legislation coming to pass about yeah i would agree strangely prescient like it getting close to like what's going to happen politically in like three decades is no small feat so i agree with you i didn't even clock that but well done well done showrunners uh <laughs> you, you got pretty close on that one well we'll see it hasn't happened yet True. let's not counter chickens True. very cool okay so next question can mini delane read japanese <laughs> Why did he? He was like, oh, Japanese, I'll help. Apparently, he is either a really fast learner or he knew Japanese somehow. <laughs> yeah, no, some, something like that. I mean, Garibaldi is a native of Earth, the planet the language comes from. Right. And he's having trouble with it, which obviously most Earthlings have trouble with Japanese, if we're, if we're <laughs> honest with each other. You know, I've tried to learn a little Chinese in my time. That That's hard. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. I had similar thoughts. I had similar thoughts. It, <laughs> it seemed like Garibaldi would be better prepared to learn Japanese. And even then, I did like the backstory that he won it <laughs> in a bet or something. In a card game, yeah. In a card game, which implies that this random manual from <laughs> long ago would be valuable enough to bid on right which i don't think that checks out when my wife and i moved into our house the guy who built it still had all his crap in the basement and he was a tv repairman and so we came into possession of like 50 tv (laughs) manuals from like the 40s and 50s i don't know maybe not the 40s but from basically the earliest days of tv and i'm pretty sure none of those are worth a goddamn thing (laughs) maybe find the right back alley card game into tv repairs 
<laughs> yeah, that's true. My wife reminds me they better not be worth anything because we threw them away. <laughs> it was a little sad, but also you just can't imagine the volume of crap that yeah. was in this basement. Yeah. We had to get rid of it. <laughs> okay, all right. I'm getting way off topic. Let's get back to Bab 5 here. You know, once again, they touch on this theme of rising extremism yep. in the political atmosphere, which definitely not a bad plot arc little close to home these days Mm -hmm. but not all tv has to be escapist i suppose but yeah a little little close to home i did really love i don't remember his name uh, delane's sidekick i loved his uh infatuation with the motorcycle and especially learning that it was you know whatever a symbol of freedom and sexual prowess and then they (laughs) cut back to him arching his eyebrows at sexual prowess and you're like all right (laughs) all right man yeah (laughs) yeah Lanier's a good good character for those sorts of escapades he has a, a air of innocence about him. He's great. I'm glad they've kept him around. You know, you've mentioned that they kind of change out the sidekick somewhat regularly, but I think he's pretty good one. The actor's pretty good. I yeah. Like him. Oh, and I noticed for the first time this episode, shows you how observant I am. Do you look at where the Mimbari ears are? Yep. They're like under their chin. Yeah, they're lower down. Almost on their neck. Yep. Which, as soon as I noticed it, was weird. <laughs> <laughs> well, remember, they're not human. <laughs> yeah but their ears look just like humans uh, they're yeah. tiny human ears tiny true well obviously they needed to put new ears because their normal ears are covered by the prosthetic <laughs> yes. they couldn't hear anything otherwise they need the new ears to hear so exactly. that makes sense that checks out yes yeah let's see they introduce these two bad guys and they are some kind of colonel high-ranking officer and a psychic right member of the psy corps and at first they're introduced very ambiguously and they sound basically exactly like bad guys at the beginning of other episodes when they're like discussing the plot mm-hmm. you know when, when like the guys who kidnapped sinclair they started the episode being like is the target here and then it's like this is what he looks like yeah. and then later it's revealed <laughs> that they're actually obsessed with him and have conspiracy theories about him and it's like well Mm-hmm. okay sorry we're going back over <laughs> past episodes but it was kind of the same sort of intro that i think was meant to throw us off and then later when garibaldi approaches them and is like you guys are suspicious af what's going on they're like the call is coming from inside the house <laughs> no what they actually say is we're members of earth Corps and i outrank you and we, we get to play the actually i'm in charge of babylon 5 game all over again right. i feel like we've seen this this one before but other elements of the episode were different at least yeah it's funny how you referenced past episodes because this episode references a lot of past episodes in fact half of the past episodes are referenced in this episode i think yeah agreed they (laughs) they do take a walk down memory lane in this one yeah yeah and i think one of the things that i miss about 90s tv is just the length of the seasons and yeah there was some duds in there some filler episodes stuff, stuff like that but Within the length of the seasons, you had more room for the story to breathe, you know, for ones that had decent stories. Modern TV, it's always like action every episode. There's hardly any calm before the storm. And I think yeah, this I episode is kind of emphasizing something like that because it fits between a filler episode and a story episode. It's not all filler because there are key aspects that they refer back to from past episodes and things along those lines. But at the same time, you can tell that some budget constraints are coming in here because there was very little use of CGI, a lot of talking about things and reusing old footage. So this is 
clearly that's a great point reusing some stuff but in a story way that folds it into the story cleverly i i really appreciate that about this episode yeah you know i like your description of it it's not a filler episode and it's not quite a main plot arc episode it is somewhere in between because it does end with the status quo basically in place although i, I suppose you could say that about every episode right. yeah no i i would agree with that description and i agree that i think there is something lost where we don't get 26 episode seasons anymore i mean <laughs> my wife and i were actually talking about it. she's like are you guys still on season one i'm like yeah. boy are we <laughs> 26 these came out once a week that's half a year yep. that's a solid six months uh for one season yeah no it there is something lost, I think, you know, not getting that volume. But I would say, on the other hand, the reason you don't get so much filler like that is there's so much more competition for your eyeballs. Right. Unintentionally, I foreshadowed this talking about back in the day, you just surfed through channels. And when you came to something that caught your attention, you just watched it. Like, <laughs> you know, if you had a show like Babylon 5 coming up, you would tune in and watch it no matter what. And like these days, there's so much content out there. Yeah, And the budgets are so high for these shows mm -hmm. that every episode needs to be white hot. Yeah, you got to be punching every episode. Exactly. Which I have to say, I don't hate. I agree that there's something lost, but I don't know. I'm, I'm, I've been pretty <laughs> impressed with the quality of TV here. Oh, well, for, sure. uh, for sure. In, in these days. Not that I have any time to watch. <laughs> there's so many shows on my list to watch, and I, I just don't get to any of them. Yeah. It's real sad. <laughs> Story of adulthood, right? As soon as you have the money and freedom to do whatever you want, you don't have the time to do it. Right. Well, here's something I loved. When Garibaldi and Sinclair were talking about some like weapon running, they mentioned Lagrange 2, mm -hmm. which is a real thing. Lagrange points are essentially special points in space where the gravitational forces of the sun and it, or another large planet are such that you can basically hover in space there's several lagrange points uh, we actually have satellites in lagrange points looking at the sun mm -hmm. things like that so it's kind of cool to get uh, a little reference to, to actual astronomy <laughs> you know referencing a space station lagrange too because lagrange points are excellent places to put space stations because you know exactly where they are. They don't move. <laughs> Maybe Babylon 5 is in the Lagrange point for that solar system it's in. Maybe that's why it, it shows up where it's at. That's an interesting... Yeah, very very possible. <laughs> very possible. It is one thing that very few shows touch on is how complicated spaceflight would be. Because, of course, right. everything's moving in relation to everything. You, you, you don't just like point your thing in a straight line and go that way. <laughs> You're traveling in orbits, yep. you know, many different orbits. You're orbiting this at first the Earth, right? When you're or, or any planet, you're also orbiting that star. You're also orbiting the galactic center. So, like, it actually is really quite difficult to to just go from one <laughs> spot to another. Use what's called orbital transfers, but just because it's understood. I, anyway, I <laughs> I would love a show to like use some of that mm -hmm. in you know their world building or in their plot arc the fact that you could be right next to a space station but if you're if you have different angular momentum or diff you know in a different orbit you know you may as well be a million miles away you know right. it, it still takes a ton of energy for you to get there <laughs> your cat would seem to agree yeah <laughs> yeah sorry guys my cat has stuff to say too 
One other thing about the two characters that show up, so Mr. Gray, who is a psychop, or not psychop, but psychor telepath, and Colonel Benzane. The actor that plays Mr. Gray is actually a very popular character actor from Star Trek, Jeffrey Combs, who I think played a character in five different Star Trek series or something like that. Oh, no kidding. And a recurring character in a few of them as well. So he's uh, very well known among the Star Trek community. I see. J- just like Bester. Yeah. Mm-hmm. A lot of cro- That's a interesting. A lot of crossover so there. I'm sure they expected most of the audience to clock that, right? I mean, I feel like the <laughs> Venn diagram of Star Trek and Bab 5 has a lot of overlap. Maybe not, though. I, I don't know. Is there is there like animosity between the fandoms or anything? or like? Well, one what? of the things to be aware of is that Babylon 5 was airing at the same time as Star Trek Deep Space Nine, a competing show. I am personally right. of the belief that one can like both shows, but there are those that disagree with that assessment. Yeah, yeah. There, there's not enough room in that decade for two science fiction shows. <laughs> right, <Yeah. laughs> about space stations nonetheless. But, yeah, right. <laughs> but yeah, I think he played a couple characters in DS9, uh, and then he played a recurring character in Star Trek Enterprise and a few other characters and other star trek properties as well so he's he's a fun actor and recognizable one of those guys you know that you recognize when you see him right right yeah one of those guys you don't know their names but yeah you know you've seen them and stuff <laughs> yeah exactly <for> sure. <laughs> yeah well, that's cool cool fun fact I, I find it interesting that they source a lot of their psychor uh, from star trek <laughs> yeah yeah very true i had a little chuckle when garibaldi knocked on the door and mr gray quickly puts on the black gloves right <laughs> the black gloves of conversation or <laughs> why, why and then he hides his hands back? behind his back anyways like, oh right yeah it's like just don't put the gloves on dude yeah <laughs> also also those look really ominous like again you're psychic you should know how this comes off right you should be aware of the importance of branding like maybe wear pink uniforms wear, <laughs> you know like the black is working against you you gotta be careful the mauve hand's gonna come after you <laughs> exactly exactly you know, you know, one of the best parts of these calls coming from inside the house episodes where the antagonists outrank mm-hmm. the protagonists is you get so much uh, righteous anger. Right. You know, like, you know, you get to see all your favorite characters take people to task, <laughs> which is a lot of fun. I was really enjoying Ivanova's takedown of Mr. Gray, although I, you could tell Mr. Gray was supposed to be not a capital B bad guy. Right. But I was here for Ivanova's uh, going into him. I was here for Garibaldi. <laughs> <laughs> going into them i was here for sinclair going into them especially at the end so yeah one of my favorite parts of these calls coming from inside the house the righteous fury you know the crew railing against abuses of authority and stuff yeah i'm here for it <laughs> yeah and ivanova did try to be diplomatic at first so give her credit for that she didn't come out swinging right away but when she did come out swinging she did end up having her own Sinclair-like punch. And Sinclair has his the return of his Sinclair punch at the end of the episode. I was disappointed. That was a Sinclair <laughs> punch junior. They should have done another take. <laughs> they should have. <laughs> they really should have. I guess you're right. The budget must have been tight or something. Or, you know. Yeah. <laughs> but we'll, we'll get to that. Yes. Part. That's way at the very end. <laughs> but no, I agree with you. And you would have thought Mr. Great. Like, you don't need to read minds, Mr. Great. Just look at her face, dude. Yeah. Like, read, the room, the read the room, man. Read the room. Read the room. 
<laughs> read the room dude you're you're not helping your situation oh yeah yeah so for someone who can read minds he's remarkably <laughs> bad at yeah <laughs> interpersonal communication although i have to say he is except for tolly winters he is probably the most charismatic and sociable member of the psychor that we've met so far very true i would agree with that uh, it's a pretty low bar it's a pretty low bar <laughs> You're either a bad guy or you have some social skills. It's true. One part I liked in this, or had a little chuckle about, again, dealing with Psychor and how the writers seem to occasionally forget the name of Psychor. Although, you know, they did... Uh, anyway, let me, let me say what I'm saying first. When he commandeered Garibaldi, and he's like, what do you think about all this Garibaldi? And there's <laughs> this whole thing where Garibaldi's like, you want me to speak honestly? And I was like, dude, you have a psychic with you. Ask the psychic what Garibaldi right. thinks. But, uh, you know, of course, that would have undermined the, the main tension. And also, uh, later it became clear that these were not two peas in a pod. They did not see things, uh, uh, their mission the same way. So it's it's understandable in hindsight. One could say just done that. they didn't see things eye to eye. Uh, uh, it's true though especially because mr gray was about a foot and a half shorter oh, yeah he was so much shorter <laughs> yeah yeah when the bad guy just backhands him you're like oh that wasn't oh, come on man pick on your <laughs> own size cool yeah really <laughs> okay moving on so at one point, Sinclair has Garibaldi do like a counter investigation mm-hmm. against the two guys investing. Oh, we didn't even say it. the reason they're on Babylon 5 is there was a streak of basically terrorist attacks on other stations, and those justified these politically motivated psychic investigations. Yeah, loyalty checks, which. Loyalty, yeah, yeah, exactly. Loyalty checks. We find out. A little bit later in the episode that in part this is the political fallout from some of the decisions that Sinclair made as well because his commanders can't do anything to stop it and they have to go by what the president ordered because it's if they don't the president's going to lose favor and so on and so forth right yeah which you know I appreciated that things are happening that are beyond Sinclair's control because of political factors and I think because they made Sinclair a military officer it's nice to see them play with the idea that he does answer to people and yeah. like you know it was sure lucky that he was right yeah. at the end right because he was going way off, oh, off yeah. base there way out on a limb but i also like the explanation that because he's a war hero it gives him some political cover mm-hmm. which also checks out i mean like even stalin famously couldn't execute his most popular generals from world war ii so like there, there there's some realism there that sinclair is both somewhat insulated from political machinations but is also subject to people uh using the military chain of command against them yeah so yeah i I like that that plot device i like them playing with the sort of norms of being a military officer because of course you know that is what you see in, Mm -hmm. in in turbulent political situations right there's yeah there's a lot of forces who want to see their guy ascend or or someone else taken down so right. yeah and i like that there are repercussions to his decisions from previous episodes even though we don't see him in those episodes we see stuff down the line that he not necessarily paying the price per se but stuff happens as a result of that within the universe which i think is really cool because it builds more of that universe and makes it feel more like a living place rather than just everything goes back to the way it was 
the previous episode, like in Star Trek The Next Generation, someone dies, but then they come back and everyone forgets that they died in the previous episode, the next episode. And that's never mentioned again, that sort of thing. You know, that is such a great point, Eric. I've never really thought about that, but you're absolutely right. This show does a really good job of making the events feel like they have weight because they change the universe they exist in, you know? In fact, that was one of the best lessons I ever learned about running a, a, a tabletop RPG, you know, being a dungeon master or something, is try to show what affects the character's decisions make on the world and that'll help make it feel real and Mm -hmm. and more important and this show is i think a master class in that yeah it does make the decisions feel weighty and when sinclair has to say things like well i can't just tell him to f off there's repercussions (laughs) it feels less like just an excuse for the plot to happen and more like a legitimate concern right because you've now seen there's political fallout and things happen that he doesn't have control over, but that are a result of his decisions. Totally. And every, yeah, every time you see him thinking like, can I just put these guys out the airlock? <laughs> you're like, no, he can't. Yeah, he actually has to tread carefully and, mm-hmm. and you know, make good decisions. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that, Eric. I think that's a great call out. Okay, so real quick, while Garibaldi is doing this sort of counter investigation against the two antagonists he has to put a password in (laughs) and he types a password and then he speaks a password which is peekaboo and garibaldi you are a security officer who taught you password security man let me ask you something like three unrelated words dude what's that would you have guessed that's his password though i mean you know maybe maybe it's harder to get uh you know programmatic actually that's a good point it probably is harder to programmatically try spoken words as opposed to entered passcodes so maybe a verbal password doesn't need to be as strong as a typed Mm -hmm. one okay good good call (laughs) i retract my criticism (laughs) it did seem to have a double authentication where you typed in a security code then you had to speak a password as well i'd love to see now i I, again you know this would have been so prescient but i would love to see them have to go through like two-factor authentication and getting all annoyed pulling out his phone (laughs) like oh this again it's me okay you know (laughs) But yeah, after that, we see Mr. Gray approach Ivanova on the bridge, and he tries a very, in my opinion, a very compassionate way to try and explain to her that he'll have to scan her or, or, you know, do a psychic scan on her as part of the investigation. And she's totally against this complete non-starter for Ivanova. So he is trying to sort of be like hey i'm not your enemy i'm not gonna hurt you i have to do this i don't like it more than you do it would really just be best for you if you let it happen that that had some rapey vibes (laughs) yeah uh uh i don't know actually i was about to say that that's not how i meant it but thinking about the episode there was a little bit of that kind of like i mean it's certainly not sexual but ideas of of invasive yeah it's an invasion uh, yeah, of your person autonomy yeah totally yeah yeah so you know what i think i accidentally stumbled on a on a theme that i that i think was present but anyway it doesn't go well she reacts very poorly to his overtures mm-hmm. and tells him off and again even though i was a bit sympathetic to him and i thought he was approaching this in actually a, a very compassionate way i was 100 percent here for ivanova <laughs> being like 
how dare you scan me? Because I feel the same way, you know, like what is more private than your thoughts? It is kind of nightmarish to imagine people, you know, governments especially, being able to scan your thoughts. Yeah, thought police is a big thing. Yeah, it's one of the, I mean, Babylon 5 is, you know, has shadows of dystopia to it. It does. It really does. Um, You know, it's, I wouldn't say it is a dystopia. The fact that there's still civilian oversight of the government is, you know, not nothing. And like, yeah, yeah, it's not a dystopia, but it does have very dark shadows mm-hmm. in some corners very sure. dark and long shadows and i think that's a, again just another aspect of it that differentiates it from the utopian sci-fi that many of us are used to from star trek and stuff like that and i think that comes in part because one of the goals i think of the show is to kind of see what life would be like if we superimposed what amounts to our world today into a sci-fi setting right with some minor changes obviously but there are still factions on Earth, different people vying for power, and humans are still humans. And seeing how they interact with a universe filled with aliens that operate on different wavelengths from them is, is fascinating. Yeah, I agree. No, I, th- I think I think that's cool. And I we've said it almost every episode, comparing the you know, <laughs> space communism of Star Trek to the uh, 21st century, but in space, right. <laughs> of Babylon 5. One thing... That is kind of missing from Babylon 5, which unfortunately is at the top of everyone's mind, though, is the sort of existential threat that advanced weapon system poses. Now, of Mm. course, here on Earth, we have wonderful nukes to keep us up at night. And you can imagine that in the future, you know, weapon systems aren't going to get less destructive. But that is one aspect of sort of political machinations that is kind of been absent mm-hmm. from Babylon 5. In fact, the whole show is the backstory involves this war and the fact that both sides came out of it intact indicates that it did not look like what a total war in our world would look like. Yeah. So I do I do wonder if they will eventually touch on some of those themes. <laughs> I can neither confirm nor deny. Oh, I bet yeah. <laughs> I bet you can. <laughs> <laughs> I loved the B plot in this episode, which was <laughs> Delane's sidekick's infatuation with Garibaldi's motorcycle yeah. and Garibaldi's, you know, annoyance <laughs> of him. Uh, I la- you know, if I kill him, it'll start a right. war. I just this episode had some of the best of Garibaldi. Yeah, in my opinion, he was great. Yeah, he had a he had a good time with the motorcycle, and as we see at the end of the episode, they were able to enjoy it. Although there may be some questionable physics going on there, depending on which direction the station's rotating. Yeah, maybe. I mean, you know, if if we accept that it's spinning so that there's normal ish gravity, then I'll accept that they can drive through the court. What I don't accept is Sinclair just seeing this happen and being like, <laughs> "Oh, Garibaldi!" Like that seemed. reckless is an understatement like what are you doing Mm -hmm. a a what is this power source is it a power source that'll be cool if you crash the motorcycle or are you gonna have some thermobaric explosion (laughs) on babylon 5 b what about the poor bastards who are just going about their day job what about those mechanics who are on strike now you're driving a motorcycle (laughs) through people's workplace yeah it just seemed incredibly reckless to me i don't know (laughs) but i love that they drove you know when they showed it to us at the beginning i'm like this episode's gonna end with garibaldi riding (laughs) so ignore everything i said before this i did love it (laughs) however 
<laughs> it does raise the question. Because Mini Delane was like, oh, I replaced the gas engine with a Mimbari power source. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, that's cool, but isn't most of the motorcycle dealing with the internal combustion engine? Yeah. And didn't Garibaldi <laughs> spend an incredible amount of effort gathering antique parts? <laughs> he, he didn't seem at all upset that Mini Delane just took it upon himself to be like, oh, I'll just replace these with different shit. Right. <laughs> But okay, that is like the very end of the episode. So I did skip ahead a bit. You know, I have to say this episode did not have the most amazing dialogue ever. Mm-hmm. I was a little disappointed with the dialogue. It just sounded fake. It sounded a little too expositiony. Yeah. I think, and I know I've said this before, I'm a broken record. You know, our listeners are getting the same experience my wife is getting where I only have like <laughs> 50 things to say. <laughs> so I'll just say it over and over again. But the thing I have to say now is that I think dialogue writing has gotten way better since this show and just way more natural sounding. Yeah. And this show just kind of stuck out like a sore thumb compared to uh, a lot of modern writing or, you know, more recent dialogue written into shows. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think from a dialogue perspective, Babylon 5 kind of follows a similar path to the West Wing, where it has some good moments, but there's a lot of speechifying going on in different yes. aspects of Babylon 5, which, while it sounds nice, isn't particularly realistic in every sense. And West Wing was very much like that as well. And West Wing is not quite in parallel a few years after Babylon 5, but similar sort of dialogue, I think, in both series. Yeah, I kind of agree with that. I think they try too much to... I love that phrase, speechify. Yeah, they, they try to fit more exposition than they need to mm-hmm. in the conversations people are smart people can pick up context have the characters react in a way that gives us a hint as to what they're talking about you can leave a lot more unsaid and even if people don't infer the right thing sometimes that's okay unless it directly impacts the plot it's okay to have mysteries in your world that are yeah. answered and it's okay i mean you know the um star wars had a great example like the kessel run Mm -hmm. it just drops it in there it makes the kessel run and whatever parsecs and you know of course (laughs) everyone talks about how parsec is a unit of uh, yeah um, unit of distance and not time exactly which is true i was just debating (laughs) if i should explain what a parsec is but it's not interesting enough no actually it is interesting it actually it refers to the amount of distance away something should be where earth's parallax gives it one second one arc second of change in our observation of it mm-hmm. of, of its position which is relatively close most stars are much farther than one parsec away anyway there <laughs> we go but uh, wow i am way off topic so yeah you know just drop it in there reference it you don't need to explain it the character's reaction tells you all you need to know about what that means and they never go back and explain it and of yeah. course i think in the new movies i haven't seen the Hansel. i think they do show it which is dumb <laughs> they didn't need to show it they, they they could have made up their own thing. But yeah. Okay. I get it. I get it. Movies are expensive. It's better to play with our parents' toys than make new toys. <laughs> Fine. But yeah, I think this show could learn a little bit from that kind of thing where you can, you can just say stuff. Yeah. You don't need to explain it. That being said, there are some really good speeches in this series that come in the later seasons. Stuff that's like really like good stuff. Wait and see. You'll enjoy it. 
Oh, I love it. Yeah, I don't want to sound like I'm against it. I actually loved a lot of the speeches in this episode. Yeah. Like I said, the sort of righteous fury where they rail against. And by the way, it's really effed up that you scan our minds as a loyalty test. Like, what the hell is that? And you're like, yeah, yeah, that's right. It is effed up. So no, I, I, yeah, I loved it. Also, this episode, we learn Ivanova's got some demons. Serious boy, demons. Oh boy. Serious yeah. Demons. I mean, can you imagine watching a family member go through what she did? That would be terrible. Oh, yeah. No, totally. I, I was not prepared for the clockwork orange opium dream scene Yeah, with Ivanova watching her mother get, was it executed? Uh, I, I couldn't quite. I don't know if they've alluded to it yet, but basically if you don't sign up to PSYCOR and you don't go to jail, you have to take what they call sleepers, which basically numb your mind and prevent you from being able to scan people, but also turning into an amnesiac where you basically stop remembering stuff. And that's how her mother died eventually was she committed suicide later on after suffering through that for many months. I see. Okay. I do vaguely remember this being referenced then, now that you say that. I have two thoughts about that. One is I love it. Mm -hmm. I love it. It's perfectly in character for a shadowy paramilitary psychic organization to do everything they can to, to keep every source of psychic ability under their control the other thing i want to say about that is the first thing that makes me think of is like well is there any organized resistance where's all the psychics who really don't want to do that and will do anything they can to avoid the psychor surely that group exists somewhere and is you know making moves to not be captured and and you know zombified perhaps we'll see Perhaps we'll see. Yeah, you never yeah, know. I'd let. I hope we do. You did see some of that with the Jason Ironheart episode where he ran away, and obviously Bester's character is a side cop whose main purpose is to police other telepaths and chase down rogue telepaths like Jason Ironheart. So clearly there is something going on there. True, but I mean Jason Ironheart was a cure, right? Like was a lab right. experiment yeah. gone so right he became a god. Mm -hmm. And I don't disagree. I thought that was a great episode. But I'd like to see what the normal mom and pop psychics, mm -hmm. how do they evade? What does their life look like traversing space, trying to hide what they are? You know, Do they just act normal and there's a bunch of them and we would never know because they never reveal their, their psychic abilities? Mm -hmm. Or, I don't know. Yeah, that's, I think that would be a fun, a fun story to see. So over the course of Garibaldi's investigation of these guys, he tells Sinclair that their old friend Bester, the bad guy, uh, Psychor dude from that very episode we were just talking about with Jason, was in fact the person who put this corporal on this mission. And that immediately casts an even darker light on it. And, you know, we, we sort of suspect in all the tonal clues of the episode tell us that this investigation is not on the up and up but bester's involvement i think makes it a little more explicit mm -hmm. for both sinclair and the audience that there's some there's some shady nonsense going on in this investigation and so sinclair goes and does some lawyering and figures out that the rules that this corporal is citing for doing these psychic scans on everyone is not as permissive as he's trying to make it out to be. And they have to bring specific charges in order to scan people's minds about it, which works for like two scenes. <laughs> and then who could have seen this coming? The corporal 
levies specific charge. Yeah. Well, he doesn't actually. He doesn't levy specific charges. I wrote this down. He like implies that he's going to, mm-hmm. and he says, oh, you're working to undermine the station, but that's not a specific charge. Yeah. A specific charge involves like, you did this thing at this time for this purpose. Like, that's <laughs> specifics. Like, just saying, oh, you're not loyal, that's as vague as it gets. So yeah, I didn't hear no specific charges. Uh, I, yeah, Scarface. I thought he would have... Because there was that scene where Sinclair attempts to leave the first time and he stands up and gets nose to nose with him and tells him to stop where he's going. At that point, he might have been able to say, oh, this is insubordination. I'm now going to bring my telepath to scan you for insubordination and possible other vaguely treasonous behavior. Right. Yeah. You know, one other thing that I kept thinking about this whole episode and Sinclair's a little too squeaky clean, at least at this point in the series, I think for them to play this. But the fact that all the senior officers of Babylon 5 are intensely loyal to Sinclair does not bother the antagonist nearly as much as it should. Right. They're loyal to him and not Earth Force or... That's a perspective yeah, he could take. That's exactly right. We see them explicitly defy the corporal's commands. The scene right after the corporal's like, and you're not to have any contact with Garibaldi. The scene literally, the jump cut <laughs> after that yeah. is Sinclair and Garibaldi walking down the hallway, exchanging information and scheming and like conspiring about how they're going to handle this. Very clearly, the senior officers, at least Garibaldi and Ivanova, are obviously loyal to Sinclair, mm-hmm. not Earth Force, and they're way far away. They're nowhere near other Earth Force assets. Bab 5 is out in the boonies to be closer to these other. I don't know, maybe I'm making this up. I thought I remembered this, that it was like. Yeah, it's on the, the edge of Earth's space and neutral territory between a bunch of major powers, basically. So it's exactly not close I mean, to how many historical examples are there of the reigning military commander in some far flung outpost not being subject to the authority of the larger military structure in any meaningful way, except on paper? There's so many examples. I mean, the Roman Empire, it was practically their form of government, <laughs> right? So, yeah. I'd love to see that explored. The fact that Sinclair is out here, way out in the boonies, and... He's kind of making his own fiefdom, if you will. I mean, kind of, yeah. Like, if he had told Garibaldi and Ivanova to confine the corporal to his quarters, I feel like they would have done it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And like, you know, at some point, I mean, Sinclair, previous episodes have shown that he does not have good control over communications into and out of the station. But <laughs> if he did, he would have a lot of control over sort of what people heard about why this corporal is confined to his quarters oh, totally. or why their corporal fell out the airlock, right? <laughs> like, yeah. Anyway, now again, those are kind of bad guy things to do. So I'm not sure they'll have Sinclair do that kind of stuff. Yes. But to me... That's what I keep thinking about every time they send these really dickish, unpopular <laughs> characters that outrank Sinclair. That's what I keep thinking of is they should be a lot more worried. Actually, you know what? The presidential visit episode, they were explicitly worried about that, weren't they? they you know, yeah, they, yeah. they brought in their own security detail. And she's like, Garibaldi and Ivanova are covering for Sinclair. Yeah, mm-hmm. they are. <laughs> yeah, they are. Yeah. We know Sinclair's a good guy, but if we didn't know that, this would look really suspicious. It definitely would, and she was definitely suspicious of it, which made sense. Yeah, right. And that that was the other episode this one reminded me of. Yeah. Again, it was like, we're on the same team, but I outrank you, and mm-hmm. I'm going to be a dick about it. <laughs> 
Okay, so Garibaldi reveals to Sinclair that not only did Bester put the corporal up to this, but the reason Bester probably chose this corporal is because he got passed up for command of Babylon 5 and is salty about it. Yes. And so Bester basically just made sure that the investigation into Sinclair was conducted by someone who hated Sinclair. (laughs) Yeah. I love that. That's some good in the shadows machinations kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And when they bring in Sinclair to have his mind scanned for these charges, he basically doesn't even let them start. Before, you know, I think the Psy guy sort of reads him his his Psy rights, had a little... (laughs) spiel but before they can even ask him a single question he starts just laying into the corporal (laughs) (laughs) just being like this is a sham you're a fraud you're just here for your personal vendetta and he gets this dude so riled up that he eventually pulls a gun on sinclair oh uh, first he backhands the psychic because the psychic's like you're lying you're full of hate it's very yoda like (laughs) hate leads to suffering <laughs> and then, so he gets backhanded yeah and again i was like this dude knows that these psychics are dangerous right mm-hmm. but apparently he forgot that because he pulls his glock on sinclair and there's this tense moment where garibaldi's like can't shoot all of us and the guy's like i bet i can <laughs> and i was like wow this escalated quickly and then the psychic thankfully he said the word pain or we wouldn't have known yes we would have show writers we would have known you idiots he doesn't have to say the word pain but he does he says the word pain and uh, uh, the bad guy sort of grabs his head and then we get this weak ass sinclair punch. he like grabs the gun and gives them this right hook and you know i know they're not they don't want to hurt each other but it was a little too restrained it didn't look real yeah it, it was definitely a stage punch that probably would have missed by a little bit yeah you know maybe, maybe it was like you know late at night and they've been filming all day and they just probably. wanted to go home yeah, yeah. <laughs> That being said, we did skip over Ivanova's Sinclair punch or Ivanova's whatever punch. Oh my god, you're right. We skipped over some of the best parts of Ivanova. So Ari Benzane, the colonel, has now taken over command of Babylon 5 and has, as Andrew mentioned, confined Sinclair to quarters and basically told him not to talk to any of the other Babylon 5 staff. Ivanova finds out about this while she's at work and then she promptly decides to leave her post which in military terms is a very big deal. But she refuses to submit to the psychic scan, as we've mentioned before. And she goes to the bar and proceeds to get drunk (laughs) while waiting for Garibaldi to show up. Because Garibaldi was going to basically hang out with her and kind of chat with her about what's going on, plan a solution to the situation. Right. Yeah, Garibaldi wasn't a great friend. He forgot about her. He's like, go to the casino, uh, have a drink, and I'll be right there. Yep. And half an hour later, he's not there. Yeah. Some guys bump into her and start hitting on her or I don't know, being very vulgar. Oh yeah, and... like I mean sexually assaulting her basically. They were like touching her hair right. and like petting her shoulder and like you know, coming on really you know. Uh and you could yeah. So and then they cut away, and as soon as they cut away, I was like, when we see Ivanova again, <laughs> She's going to be throwing hands. Yeah, she 100%. took on like six guys at the same time and was 
beating him up pretty good. She had a pretty good time. And uh, a couple good punches she got in there. I think uh, she was better at punching this episode than Sinclair was, that's for sure. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I loved Ivanova's fight scene. Nothing came of it, though. Yeah. (laughs) Not only did nothing come of her leaving her post, we don't even hear the bad guys reference it as a a threat. Like, oh, we're going to get Ivanova court-martialed. It's just literally never mentioned. Yeah. (laughs) And, you know, ditto this fight. I suppose they had to have these guys be really aggressively coming onto her and like touching her and stuff because at the end she just gets to walk away and he's like, get these clowns out of here. And I was like, man, if every single one of them wasn't responsible, this takes on a different tone. Yes. Like you're just letting Ivanova throw hands at random <laughs> people now, but no, no, they, they made it clear that all of them were, uh, they all deserved it. <laughs> Self defense. Yeah. Yeah. They're all Self-defense. pieces of pieces of crap. But yeah, uh, Garibaldi and Vanova, I was disappointed that we didn't get the scene in the casino with them. I'm here for a Baldi Vanova story. Mm-hmm. I, I think they're a great pair. Every time they're in scenes together and like <laughs> whinging together, I'm like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Baldi and Vanova, let's do it. <laughs> yeah, they have good chemistry on, on the camera there. Totally, totally. So yeah, okay, after the psychic you know after we get the week sinclair punch jr <laughs> the actual last scene of the episode is with Dylan's sidekick showing garibaldi that he finished the motorcycle and garibaldi is understandably upset that he did his project right <laughs> it's like clear that this guy didn't understand what a hobby was yeah <laughs> i thought that was a much more believable and interesting bit of cultural misunderstanding than Delenn looking confused at cartoons. Yeah. Like that one was funny, but I actually thought this one, you know, it made me think a little bit about like, yeah, it is kind of interesting that we make work for ourselves just to do the work. Yeah. You know, that's what hobbies are essentially. But yeah, so, you know, he forgives him though. And once Dylan's sidekick explains that he put in a fuel source that they could actually drive on, Garibaldi gets excited. And, you know, now that I say that, it makes sense that he wasn't as upset because sure it's not authentic mm-hmm. but it you can you can write it can write it yeah you can write it and honestly with all the unused space on babylon 5 garibaldi could just close off a section and use it as his own personal personal racetrack oh yeah you that know? would be fun there's <laughs> all the massive open empty hallways mm-hmm. they got speaking of which you know i noted that we haven't seen the mantis in a few episodes i think the fog machine guys were getting bored they were going to go on strike or something so uh you know ivanova's uh, yeah. dream sequence was just <laughs> Lots of lousy fuck. with this <laughs> yeah. uh so in high school i worked on stage crew and for one of our shows amidst uh, no the tempest um we rented a fog machine <laughs> you buy the liquid that the fog machine uses and it's not that cheap and basically we bought the amount of liquid we got with the machine then we would return whatever's left so we were like well let's just use the rest of it and so we ran <laughs> the fog machine we did we couldn't run out we didn't we failed at running out what we didn't fail out is <laughs> is setting off the fire alarm and somehow we we only set off the lights like the actual alarm didn't go off but then the theater had these like flashing strobe lights and to their credit or maybe to their discredit i don't know none of the audience left they all just stayed there and watched in this like obscenely foggy theater well Uh, if you think about it 
<laughs> you were doing the tempest so that kind of makes sense you know you got the lightning and the fog going on the lights were the lightning you could kind of see that as being you know more it's true ambiance yeah. yeah and you know i was a senior at that point <laughs> kind of a prick i have to say and so i was like i don't care what are they gonna do you know yell at me <laughs> no one even yelled at me no one stopped us no one said hey maybe you should stop with the fog uh like uh, in hindsight that's incredible <laughs> come on story writers where is the continuity here exactly exactly anyway story <laughs> of young andrew for all, all you listeners yeah. there so what do you think of the episode andrew did you like it i thought this was a good one i thought this was a really good one two of my favorite characters garibaldi and ivanova both did what they do best Vanova be righteously indignant mm-hmm. about requests being made of her and garibaldi being cynical and speaking <laughs> truth to power so yeah i I, th- I thought this was a good one i loved the b plot too yeah i i yeah. did like this one to be honest with you yeah i found it uh like i said i enjoyed it for definitely the larger story ar- aspects of it and how it was calling back the previous episodes and lying a bit more building off those episodes and explaining the political fallout of what's going on and really giving more world of the show and i thought that was really cool i liked the different aspects that were brought in you know stage fighting aside and some of the speechifying <laughs> made and i definitely loved the heavy in this episode i wish that guy got more work in hollywood because i looked at his credits on imdb he didn't have too many unfortunately uh, that is a shame i agree i thought he was excellent i mean you know it i think it's harder to play a good bad guy than a good hero yeah and well, I don't know. I've never acted either. So that's that's straight out of my ass. But there you go. But I thought this guy was a really good, you know, he showed this barely concealed rage all episode. Mm-hmm. And then when he explodes at the end, it doesn't feel like a cop out of the writers to be like, okay, you know, Sinclair gets away with, you know, not going through with what he's apparently <laughs> legally required to go through with because this guy blew up. If he was like cool, calm and collected, the whole time it might have felt a little gimmicky but because the whole episode you could just feel this rage just under the surface yeah it's just simmering yeah i agree i thought it was a great character yeah. great voice great character oh, yeah. <laughs> a fine scar yeah it honestly <laughs> reminded me of scar yeah. from the lion king of yeah. jeremy irons yeah <laughs> did you have a favorite character this episode I think Garibaldi. Garibaldi. I think Garibaldi. I th- he gets a lot of my favorite characters, but I think he might, I don't know. He might just be my favorite character. I mean, Lando. Who can forget Lando? Right. Uh, but yeah, I think Garibaldi gets it. <laughs> gets it this. In fact, this was an ambassadorless episode, I just realized. Yeah. We didn't get Delenn. We didn't get Lando. And we didn't get Kosh. And we didn't get, uh, what's his name? Jakar. Yeah. Jakar. Thank you. Yeah. No, no Kosh about town this episode. No cost about town. I had to rewind though because when the colonel was like, the Vorlons are always making a mess of things, <laughs> I heard the morons are always making a mess of things. And I was like, turning to my wife, I'm like, what morons are he, is he talking about? I missed it. <laughs> They're all morons. Which one specifically? Yeah. And Garibaldi's like, little quip about complaining to the Vorlons is like putting fairy wings on a cement truck. <laughs> yeah. He had a few really fun, uh, yeah. Fun little sayings. Yeah, I, I like them. Few clips there, so that was good. Yeah, no, I I like this one. This is a yeah. good one. Well, an hour and ten minutes. Got your your editing cut out, <laughs> cut <laughs> out for you, Eric. <laughs> Don't worry, I got my eyes on the ball. Ah, uh, ah, ah. <laughs> <laughs> so before we wrap up, 
couple quick things. Firstly, next episode we're going to watch is A Voice in the Wilderness Part 1. First two-parter episode we're going to watch. So that'll be fun. And, oh, one fun bit of news from the real world. The uh, Super Duper Space Telescope just released their first pictures. Did you see that, Andrew? Oh, my God. I didn't the James Webb. They just released the first couple oh, pictures. That is so exciting. Yeah. So that's pretty cool. I'm looking it up right now. But Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's the good stuff right there. <laughs> I mean, it's no Hubble, but that's pretty cool. Yeah. It's in the infrared, what? but still looks cool. No, that's very exciting. That's infrared. Yeah, it looks at the infrared spectrum, James Webb Telescope. I thought it looked at very high energy. Maybe it probably looks at a broad spectrum. Yeah. But um, yeah. yeah, that's very cool. When I was in undergrad in school the james webb telescope was being talked about as the next big thing so it's it's very neat to see here well over a decade later yeah actually coming online yeah that's that's very exciting mm-hmm. it, it's hard to remember a time before the hubble pictures transformed these ideas we have of space and it would be very interesting to see if the images from the james webb telescope can have a similar effect or yeah yeah, I don't know. I'm very excited. I, I can't believe too. I didn't notice. Yeah, it's <laughs> that these came out. I'm always into that sort of stuff. That's it's very cool. Yeah, totally. So. And I mean, we're already well over time, but like, <laughs> I encourage anyone who likes this stuff to look up how the telescope works. It's really cool. You know, there's a reason it can't just be a tube like the Hubble, <laughs> and it needs that honeycomb of mirrors, basically high intensity light. What they don't tell you is that it's mirrors. actually a giant space laser. They just don't tell you that. <laughs> Yeah, right. <laughs> um, that's right. That's right, Eric. All right. Well, I think that's a wrap. And so, with that, friends, we will bid you good. adieu. <laughs> good. Good. And a good eating to you. That too. <laughs> All right. We'll talk to you later, guys. I was waiting for you. I was waiting for you, Eric. All right. All right. Have a good one, everyone. Bye bye.